Section 7 of Monsieur Lecoq, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nadine Kurtboulet, Monsieur Lecoq by Emile Gaborio, Part 1, Section 7. Chapter 5. It was some distance from the Poivriere to the Rue de Chevaleret, even by way of the plain, and fully four hours had been occupied by Lecoq and his colleague in collecting their elements of information. All this while the widow Chupin's abode had remained open, accessible to any chance visitor. Still, when, on his return, the young police agent remembered this neglect of elementary precautions, he did not feel alarmed. Considering all the circumstances, it was very difficult to believe that any serious harm could have resulted from this carelessness. For who would have been likely to visit this drinking den after midnight? Its bad name served the purpose of a bulwark. The most daring vagrants did not drink there without some disquietude, fearing that if the liquor caused them to lose consciousness, they might be rubbed or perhaps even murdered. Hence, if any one had been attracted to this notoriously dangerous drinking shop by the light that streamed through the open door, it could only have been some very reckless person returning late at night from the bull at the rainbow with a few sous left in his pocket. But even then, a single glance inside would have sufficed to put the bravest to flight. In less than a second, the young police agent had waived all these possibilities, concerning which he did not breathe a word to Father Absinthe. When, little by little, the excitement caused by his successive hopes and disappointments, and by the accomplishment of the experiment with the footprints had died away, and he had regained his usual calm of mind, he made a careful inspection of the abode, and was by no means satisfied with himself. He had experimented upon Father Absinthe with his new system of investigation, just as an aspiring orator tries his powers before his least gifted friends, not before the cleverest. He had certainly overwhelmed the old veteran by his superiority. He had literally crushed him. But what great merit, what wonderful victory was this! Why should he boast of having outwitted Father Absinthe? one of the least sagacious men in the service. If he could only have given some startling proofs of his energy or of his penetration. But, after all, what had he accomplished? Was the mystery solved? Was his success more than problematical? When one thread is drawn out, the skein is not entangled. This night would undoubtedly decide his future as a detective, so he swore that if he could not conquer his vanity, he would, at least, compel himself to conceal it. Hence, it was in a very modest tone that he said to his companion, We have done all that we can do outside. Now, would it not be wise to busy ourselves with the inside of the house? Everything looked exactly in the same state as when the two men left the room. A candle with a charred smoking wick cast its flickering light upon the same scene of disorder, revealing to view the rigid features of the three victims. Without losing a moment, Lecoq began to pick up and study the various objects scattered over the floor. 
some of these still remained intact. The widow Chupin had recoiled from the expense of a tiled floor, judging the bare ground upon which the cabin was built quite good enough for the feet of her customers. This ground, which must originally have been well beaten down, had, by constant use and damp, become well-nigh as muddy as the soil outside. The first fruits of Lecoq's search were a large salad bowl and a big iron spoon, the latter so twisted and bent that it had evidently been used as a weapon during the conflict. On inspecting the bowl, it became evident that when the quarrel began, the victims were regaling themselves with a familiar mixture of water, wine, and sugar, known round about the barriers as vin à la française. After the salad bowl, the two men picked up five of the weighty glasses ordinarily used in wine shops, and which, while looking as though they would contain half a bottle, are in point of fact so thick at the bottom that they hold next to nothing. Three of these glasses were broken, two were whole. All of them had contained wine, the same vin à la française. This was plain, but for greater shorty, Lecoq applied his tongue to the bluish mixture remaining in the bottom of each glass. The deuce, he muttered, with an astonished air. Then he examined successively the surfaces of the three overturned tables. Upon one of these, the one nearest the fireplace and the window, the still wet marks of the five glasses, of the salad bowl, and even of the spoons, could be distinguished. Lecoq very properly regarded this circumstance as a matter of the greatest importance, for it proved clearly enough that five persons had emptied the salad bowl in company. Who were these five persons? Ho, oh, oh, ho! suddenly exclaimed Lecoq, in two entirely different tones. Then the two women could not have been with the murderer. A very simple mood of discovery had presented itself to his mind. It was to ascertain if there were any other glasses, and what they had contained. After a fresh search on the floor, a sixth glass was found, similar in form to the others, but much smaller. Its smell showed that it had contained brandy. Then these two women had not been with the murderer, and therefore he could not have fought because the other men had insulted them. This discovery proved the inaccuracy of Lecoq's original suppositions. It was an unexpected check, and he was mourning over it in silence, when Father Absinthe, who had not ceased ferreting about, uttered a cry of surprise. The young man turned. He saw that his companion had become very pale. "'What is it?' he asked. "'Someone has been here in our absence.' "'Impossible!' It was not impossible. It was true. When Gevrol had torn the apron off Widow Chupin's head, he had thrown it upon the steps of the stairs. Neither of the police agents had since touched it. And yet the pockets of this apron were now turned inside out. This was a proof. This was evidence. At this discovery, Lecoq was overcome with consternation, and the contraction of his features revealed the struggle going on in his mind. "'Who could have been here?' he murmured. "'Robbers? That is improbable.' Then, after a long silence which his companion took good care not to interrupt, he added, The person who came here, who dared to penetrate into this abode and face the corpses of these murdered men, 
this person could have been none other than the accomplice. But it is not enough to suspect this. It is necessary to know it. I must, I will know it. They searched for a long time, and it was not until after an hour of earnest work that, in front of the door forced open by the police, they discovered in the mud, just inside the marks made by Gevrol's tread, a footprint that bore a close resemblance to those left by the man who had entered the garden. They compared the impressions and recognized the same designs formed by the nails upon the sole of the boot. "'It must have been the accomplice!' exclaimed Lecoq. "'He watched us, he saw us go away, and then he entered. But why? What pressing, irresistible necessity made him decide to brave such imminent danger?' He seized his companion's hand, nearly crushing it in his excitement. "'Ah, I know why!' continued he, violently. "'I understand only too well. Some article that would have served to throw light on this horrible affair had been left or forgotten, or lost here, and to obtain it, to find it, he decided to run this terrible risk. And to think that it was my fault, my fault alone, that this convincing proof escaped us!' and I thought myself so shrewd. What a lesson! The door should have been locked. Any fool would have thought of it. Here he checked himself, and remained with open mouth and distended eyes, pointing with his finger to one of the corners of the room. "'What is the matter?' asked his frightened companion. Lecoq made no reply, but slowly, and with the stiff movements of a somnambulist, he approached the spot to which he had pointed, stooped, picked up something, and said, "'My folly is not deserving of such luck!' The object he had found was an earring composed of a single large diamond. The setting was of marvellous workmanship. "'This diamond,' declared Lecoq, after a moment's examination, "'must be worth at least five or six thousand francs.' "'Are you in earnest?' "'I think I could swear to it.' He would not have troubled about such a preamble as, I think, a few hours before, but the blunder he had made was a lesson that would not be forgotten so long as he lived. "'Perhaps it was that same diamond earring that the accomplice came to seek,' ventured Father Absinthe. "'The supposition is scarcely admissible. In that case, he would not have sought for it in Mother Chupin's apron.' No, he must have been seeking for something else. A letter, for example. The older man was not listening. He had taken the earring and was examining it in his turn. And to think, he murmured, astonished by the brilliancy of the stone, to think that a woman who had ten thousand francs worth of jewels in her ears would have come to the Poivriere. Who would have believed it? Lecoq shook his head thoughtfully. Yes, it is very strange, very improbable, very absurd. And yet we shall see many things quite as strange if we ever arrive, which I very much doubt, at a solution of this mysterious affair. End of section 7